0: Hello and welcome to the Rambling Runner podcast. I'm your host, Matt Chittam, and this is the podcast for all the dedicated amateur runners out there who are working hard to get better while balancing running with the rest of their lives. And today is a special show. So today is going to be the kind of like the the co-launch of my new podcast, The Business and Sports Discourse, which I'm doing with my good friend and co-host Jason Macaluso. In this episode, you're going to get the first two episodes of that feat. So these are each around 20 minutes long. The first one is about Strava and their recent changes and what they're looking to do moving forward, and also a little retrospective on what they've done in the past. The second half will be about the cancellation of the Boston Marathon. So if you haven't done so already, please go subscribe to that podcast now. It's available on all podcast platforms, uh, Apple, Spotify, wherever you get your shows. I prefer Spotify. That's my, um, you know, my podcast player of choice, and they sponsored the show. So hey. Big ups to Spotify. That's for sure. Uh, I really enjoy doing this. I am a, I guess I just I'm just a huge sports fan. You know, on this feed, I specialize in talking about running, and I love it. However. I've been just a general sports fan my whole life. I also, you know, I love being uh, someone who's in the business world as well, and now someone who's started their own business and been working on it part time for a long time, and now doing it full time. And I know Jason, my co-host, is is a you know in a very similar situation, and you know we just love talking about this stuff—the intersection of business and sports—and that's exactly what that podcast is. It's a little bit shorter in length, so it's easy to digest in the mornings or whenever you want to listen. I know that's one of the negatives of my my current show that some people have talked to me about. Like, hey, I love it, but just an hour is just too long for me. And it's just hard to come back to the show. If I listen to the first half, I might not catch the second half. Hey, this show is not going to change. It's going to be about an hour consistently. But this other show is going to be a little shorter, which hopefully maybe fits right in your wheelhouse. So without further ado, here are the first two episodes of the Business and Sports Discourse. Welcome to the Business and Sports Discourse. I'm Matt Chittum here with my co-host, Jason Macaluso. And today we're going to be diving into the recent changes made over at Strava to their business model. And Jay, this is something where... You know, I think all of us endurance athletes, you know, Strava has just been a part of our life for a while. I was trying to think back, like, when did I get on Strava? I was trying to figure it out without going on and uh, and just like researching my own app. And truth be told, I was just too lazy to do so. And I still think I've been on it for like over a decade. Do you know when you got on Strava the first time? Yeah. So I, how about this? I remember going
1: back to when there was two separate apps. One was a running Strava and one was a bike Strava app.
0: Oh, look at that.
1: Uh Aha! So so Strava was originally a bike app and um, because it's easier to carry. Because this is like old school. You had to carry your phone and your bike jersey. And so then they came out with a running app and there was two totally separate apps. So you don't remember that?
0: No, because for me, like, biking was never part of the equation.
1: Got it. Got it. And, And you're ready for this one? You could actually find out what subscriber to Strava you were. So... Here's a little inside baseball for all listeners. So as of right now, there's about 50 million Strava users. But if you go to your Strava profile at the very top, there's a a set of numbers. And that's what number you were to sign up for Strava. And I was number 960,559. So I was the top 1 millionth subscriber of Strava.
0: Wow, so you were the top million. That's a huge deal. Is yeah. this something that's available on the app? I got to be honest with you. I'm not bringing up my app on my phone. Like, I got to find this sucker.
1: So hold on. So I'm going to... Um... I'll pull this up since we're full disclosure here of you and I are have computers and apps in front of us.
0: <laughs> well, it's funny. All right. So, so so you're, you're in the first million. Did they like combine them once they, they put those two apps together? Like, or yeah,
1: it was the same. So yeah, so it was the same, it was the same profile, but it was just a pain in the ass because you had to go back and forth. And then at some point they ditched one of them and just combined them into one. And, um, and, and that's how you became whatever athlete you were. And, and I thought it was BS that that was actually true. So I found my profile and then I added, you know, a, a number behind it or in front of it, a chronological number. And sure enough, there was a person there. So here you are, Matt. You were number seventy-six thousand eight six. no wait, eight seven seventy-six.
0: Yeah. See, I don't look like an early adopter because here's the deal. Like with so many people, I pro- I know I signed in with a previous my first time I was in it. I think I was like on AOL.com, you know, email address. So I think this is like my third rendition of my Strava login. So uh truth be told that whatever number that just popped up for you is probably like the third different Strava number I've had. Which is like anyone who's changed email addresses or if you use like you know, an old employer email address and now you're like trying to sign into something and they send you the verification to your old employer, you're like, well, that's gone for good. I'll never see that thing again.
1: <laughs> yeah, and I only know that it was true because um, uh, Rich Roll had the Strava guys on his show a while ago and Rich Roll was like number 100,000. So he was a super early adapter because it came out of the West Coast.
0: Oh, oh! How that? no, that's interesting. And it's funny because now you have people who are going through all this data trying to decide, like, is Strava good or bad for all these changes they made? And we've read a couple of deep dive articles and they have referenced this where, like, they're able to get information about Strava using this, you know, this method of, like, how many users they have. Obviously, it's a, it's a lot of there's a lot of noise in that data is as my anecdote proves like I've had three different Strava accounts, but I'm just one person. So which one do I account for my one user or my three users in that data? But all right, let's just touch base on what exactly changed this week. Basically, if you are into Strava, you already know this, but you may not know exactly what changed. Ultimately, they just changed the pay model and exactly what is offered to free users and what is offered to subscribers. In the past, they had three different tiers for subscribers and then free users had a much bigger panoply of options than you're going to have moving forward. So this is straight from the Strava uh, website. So new features for subscribers, A big route uh, update with planning and recommendations for iOS and Android. Matched rides, analyze performance on identical rides over time. I'm assuming that's for runs as well. So your full workout history with training log on iOS. Workout analysis uh, is now available on all activity types. The grade-adjusted pace is now on iOS and Android. I love gap pacing. I think that stuff is great, Uh, but you'd only get it on... on, um, on your computer, you would never get on your mobile device before. And then just like they drop the whole like, and more things to come. You know, like who knows what that would be? <laughs> you know, it's like, all right, like anyone can say that. You know what I mean? You could be like, all right, honey, I know dinner stinks tonight, but just wait until tomorrow. It's going to be fantastic. <laughs> so, all right, new subscription features that were previously free, or another way of putting it this is stuff, if you're a free user, this is stuff that you don't have anymore. <laughs> uh, Overhaul segment leaderboards. Top ten is still available, but not past that. Whew. Comparing, filtering, and analyzing segment efforts. See, Jason, top ten is not a big effort for you. Big deal for you. Like, you live in like you live like rural Connecticut. Like right. if you're not top ten, like you're not even an athlete where you live. But if you live in the city, <laughs> good luck. Um, I know, right? That's what I was thinking about. Yep. <laughs> route planning on Strava with better maps and support for segments. That's gone if you're a free user. Matched runs is gone. Training log on Android and Strava is gone. Um, and then monthly activity trends and comparisons. Now that is for subscription only now. And then let's see recent releases for all athletes. So this is just like, Hey, this is cool stuff we've done in the past. And you know, you might already be aware of this stuff. This is like the favorites first, uh, the false uh, KOMs, Apple watch uploads, all activities now both uh, with elapsed and moving time. Those are for those folks who take a 20-minute nap in the middle of a run (laughs) and then claim a 5K PR, stuff like that. So ultimately, a lot of the things that people really loved, and this is like the, the thing that people are having some issues with, is a lot of things that we mentioned just now, the things that used to be free that are not free anymore are oftentimes the things that people loved most about Strava, which is obviously... Not a coincidence. So Jason, when you first started reading about this, what were some of your initial impressions?
1: Yes, so I've been, so right now I'm a free Strava user. I was initially a free Strava user. I hopped back and forth, maybe two or three times on the premium side. And I had a really big problem with the first premium. You talked about the the three-tiered system. That was just a pain in the ass. Because it was, you know, I wanted like one thing from one and then one from the other, but I didn't want all of them. So I signed up for, I think the whole package and I used it for about a month and I got rid of it. So when all this information came out, to be honest with you, Matt, like it didn't even phase me one bit. Like this is not even going to be, I'm not going to stop using Strava for free, (laughs) but I'm also not going to pay them um, a, a subscription to 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 get these things that are missing because they're just not what I use Strava for.
0: Right. So for you, what is your primary use?
1: Yeah, I, you know, so it goes back to why I signed up for Strava, you know, I don't know how many you know how many years it was when there was two different apps, but it was because it was a social app to me. It was guys that I was training with were using it and it was just cool to you know, see what they were doing. So I was training for some big triathlons and they were, you, you couldn't even put swimming in at the time. So it was just bikes and runs that we were tracking each other. And I also remember, because it was a cycling app, um, Lance Armstrong, who's been, by the way, this 30 for 30 with Lance Armstrong is pretty awesome. Um, even Whether you're a Lance Armstrong lover or hater, but anyways, I regress. So he was one of the first Big names to be on Strava. So it was cool to follow Lance on Strava, see what he was doing. So for me, it was purely a social app. It was never a training app.
0: That is so funny because for me, it was literally the exact opposite. It was like, <laughs> okay, here's a place where I can house my runs without having to like transpose any of this data into some other worksheet or format or stuff like that. Like, you know, I'm one of those people, like, I'm either all in or I am a complete procrastinator. And when it comes to training logs, I am the latter. Like, I just don't want to write any of that stuff down. Like, the Believe training journals that you see, like, Warren Fleshman puts out, like, <laughs> those are fantastic. The diaries and people get really into it. Like, awesome. They'll color code those suckers and all of that. Like, you know, God love you. is not up my alley at all. So, for me, I just love, like, the default cataloging of what I did. And I literally... If I scrolled, if, if I ever scrolled through Sava, it was literally scrolling through my own stuff, not even like the people that I happen to follow at the time.
1: Oh, wow. Okay. So see, you're the complete opposite as me. Which So it's funny. So I'm like you where I don't have a written journal, although I, I had some old written journals. But if, yeah, if it doesn't upload to my watch and pop over to something, I'm not going to write it down. But for me, I think there's better software or apps that I would use. So I was always trying to just kind of integrate all of them into one, which is why I wanted Strava to be my like go-to. But you know what the one thing Strava doesn't have, that's been the biggest beef, and and I'll just throw this out there, is you can't put a race on the calendar. Like you cannot put uh, – this is – so what a training peaks is what I would use because training peaks, you could build your whole season with races. And as a triathlete that's training all winter, you want to know, and as any endurance athlete, but you want to know what's coming up. You can't do that in Strava. So it was just annoying. That was like the one little thing. I bet you if they had done that, I'd pay him 15 bucks a month, 15 bucks. They could have all my money <laughs> that the training piece is getting.
0: Right. Yeah. That, that's a great point because it really is kind of like in the moment type stuff. Um, and even like these, this planning stuff, like they were talking about here, like new features for subscribers. They're like, you know, figure out like where you'd want to run with mapping software, like pre run. it's like, I mean, that's useful to, to a sense, but like, you know, if you're a, say you're a runner, it's like, you're not like clicking up on a map like a minute before you're about to head out the door be like hey man where am i running today not only am i doing not only do i not know where i'm gonna run i'm gonna need a map <laughs> to figure it right. out like, like no one's going that far uh um, even if they are they're gonna stay fairly local i can see how for riding it's kind of maybe a difference since you're going for a four-hour ride you're like all right i gotta figure this out like i'm not gonna be circling the block but like from a running perspective i'm like all right like whatever like i think the one thing that they've done so well is that you know, and I think I can't even say it's their doing necessarily. It's probably the other way around where every GPS watch, like they want to be integrate with Strava, obviously, because if they don't, then it's like, all right, I got this GPS watch, but where's the data going? Right. So that's just kind of like what ends up happening. It just becomes like this default dumping ground for this data. And then let's talk about what Strava has like. Basically, they had this original vision of what it could be similar to your experience and why you liked it. And then it had like this I can't say fall from grace because it's technically become more popular, but it's yes. but it's been the people's people don't love Strava. People like put up with it or like default to it, but there's not like this passion behind it because they've had all of these crazy like issues along the way in terms of their pay model, in terms of their privacy issues and um in just terms of like their back and forth vacillation between is this a training app or is this a social media platform? And like that last one is like, is the most harebrained one of all.
1: Kurt, well, we just nailed it right there. Or you just nailed it. We just had a, here's two people having a completely different version of why they're using the app. So what is it? Is it a training app for you or is it a social app for me? Yeah, exactly. They're they're, they're trying to be both and they're probably like, okay, at both of them. (laughs) You know, they're probably better at the training side. Um, And you made a good point before offline. You're like, you're not going to – if you want to be a social app, just be Instagram. So, you know, there's already one out there.
0: Right. I mean, they basically hired executives from Instagram to take over Strava. And with this idea of we're going to make this – we're going to lean into the social media platform side of it, which isn't, you know, I guess – from a strategy standpoint, that's a pretty vague strategy. So if you want to go that route, it's not inherently flawed. But the idea is like, all right, well, social around this activity looks a lot different than like someone just going on Instagram, posting a running picture, like like the shared function you get from a Strava run anyway, like you, you upload a run to Strava, you get the picture with like little mini stats on there, and then you, shave it and you, you save it to Instagram, Right. Like you don't, you don't take that picture and then save it to Strava. (laughs) You know what I mean? Like, so it's, they're already kind of exporting all this stuff over. And it's interesting because if you want to, you know, talk to people about running, it's just such an, it's such a, I don't know. It, it it obviously never worked because they abandoned it after just like two years (laughs) and they were able to get significant growth during that time. But the, overall uh, amount of people who are going into the app and using it for its original purpose started to decline. So Jay, let's talk a little bit about like why there is this push now to update this model and then really try to, on their side, you know, get the revenue coming in that you know they obviously have a successful app. So, but what, what's the what's the motivation on their side to change the business model in such a not drastic way, but in, in in a serious way?
1: Yeah. Well, this is the this is going to be the business side of the business and sports discourse, right? So, uh, so the background of Strava is over the years they've been in as a company they've managed to bring in about forty two million. Of venture capital funding, uh, most of it from one or two big sources. So anybody that's listening knows, VC firm basically takes you know about ten million dollars at a clip, throws it behind a company that is basically has you know a business model, but they're looking for a home run and put as much effort as they can on the front end, hope the thing takes off pays them back 10 times and moves on. So I think, unfortunately, right now, Strava, and this is you know as much public information as is out there because they're still a private company, their backs against the, against the wall where they've collected all this VC money and all their investors basically want their money back. And they either want it back or they want it back 10 times and they don't care how they're going to get it back. So Strava, has, I'm assuming, is getting screws put to them by their investors to get some sort of return on their money. Because you made a good point before, over the years, they've tried so many different things to monetize the business. And it probably hasn't made anybody on the investment side too happy.
0: Right. Oftentimes you hear like, if you have people's attention, monetization will kind of work itself out. And you really aren't, you're going to be totally fine in the end. And here's this company that at estimated, you read these these um, articles. It's hard to tell for sure because it is a private company. But bringing in you know forty to sixty million dollars a year, roughly, and I think forty is on the conservative side. It sounds like yeah. Um, you know they have one hundred and eighty employees.
1: Yeah, their their payroll has got to be huge, and their overhead has got to be ridiculous. And they have fifty million subscribers. That you know the the stat is only two percent sign up for premium. <laughs> so you know, freeloaders like me are not paying them a dime to use their service.
0: Right, that's exactly right. And it's also interesting how like, you know, there's there's so many different ways to monetize stuff like this and getting people to pay five bucks a month isn't overt. I guess the problem is, and this is one of the things that we kept hearing over and over again, was this, this uh, juxtaposition of like, is your app worth $5 a month? Sure, but you guys have been like, It's just so tone deaf to some of the their hardcore audience's wishes for customer service and improvements, and their constant vacillation between stuff that their hardcore audience couldn't care less about. That they're like, all right, like if I, but if I give you this five dollars, that makes it sound like I'm okay with how you've treated me, and I don't want to do that which is like a very weird spot for a consumer to be in. Cause if you just say, is it worth your $5? And the answer is yes. As an economist, you're like, that's the end of the sentence, right? Like, right. they'll <laughs> Then they will give you the money. But this feeling of like, you wronged us in the past with your lack of concern for our concerns is hampering them, which is like, if you're like one of like the new people working there must be like bang your head up against the wall. Cause you're like, I wasn't here for that. Like, what you, I'm just trying to hook you up with some good stuff. Um, and like as a biz- on the business side like how do you overcome that considering that for a lot of people you know once you lose trust it's obviously a lot harder to lose it than it is to to gain it or even harder to regain it
1: yeah and they you know the worst part is they they apparently got the most subscriber growth before the two instagram guys came in so they had a core group of audience that was using this tool right and Instead of listening to them and just focusing on what that core wanted, they literally doubled their subscribers. And again, these numbers are all speculative, but they literally went from 25 million to 50 million subscribers in two years. But their number of downloads per subscriber went or the number of uploads per subscriber went down. So therefore, they're taking on more subscribers that are not their core. And now they're trying to suck $7 or $7.99. Out of everyone and eight bucks is nothing. But to your point, I'm not gonna give you eight bucks and want nothing in return. But I would give you fifteen dollars in return. Um they just did. I think I don't know if you said tone death, but that's kind of where they've been for the past couple of years.
0: Yeah, and it's this idea of like, all right, what am I getting for my money? Right? If it's just like this repository of things that are depository for of, of things that like, I just don't want to write down. Like, well, I don't really care about that. Like that, that, that doesn't give me much. And in this era of like all these GPS watches, giving you data and anal- and analyzing, you know, how you're doing on their own. Like, well, what do you need out of that? Right. Like you're, they're already like beating you to the punch, right? You have like, you know, companies like whoop, who will give you, you know, an enormous amount of data that like completely trumps some of the stuff that you're going to get here. It's like, all right, like that's great that you're going to help me with like comparing my segments or helping me plan my routes. But like, you know, comparing my segments, like that's nice, but like, I don't need it. I also don't want to be reminded about how fit I used to be compared to my slow ass now. (laughs) And then like, I already know where I'm going. So it doesn't help me. Like, are you giving me a training log? But I know that's the part I have to pay for. Like, well, Yeah. Oh, like that, like that, that's like, I get that free on literally every other app. I get that part for free, but that's the part that you're charging me for. And it's like, all right, like now I'm just not seeing it. And then it just becomes this game of like, all right, like this was the default. We're the market leader and you're just going to stay with us because you're too lazy not to stay with us. And we're so ingrained with the watch community that. That that you're that you know we're the market leader and you know it's going to take heaven and earth to like knock us down. And the interesting part here is what you brought up. It's like okay, well, what if they just don't have the funds to pay off their creditors, for lack of a better word? Like, what happens then? Right? Like, what if they're not able to do that? Do they just get sold off for parts? Is going to be like Toys R Us for weekend runners? Right. Like, what, what's going to happen <laughs> next?
1: But I think the worst part about this company is from, from the business side is when they were, you know, three or four years ago when they were the hot growing company, their goal without knowing this was to be sold, right? Like imagine a Facebook coming in and sucking, you know, 25 million subscribers and every single piece of data. Like they know what sneakers I wear, they know what bike I ride, they know how many miles are my sneakers. So a company with their goal was to have this thing sold. I think now, The ship has sailed and what are you going to buy it for? 50 million subscribers that if this gets sold to Facebook, then I'm deleting my account. You know what I'm saying? So I unfortunately they missed it and I don't know what the answer is.
0: I'll tell you who could, who could take, take this on is someone like Zappos. Cause this is what I was saying offline. Is that like, Uh if you're a company that has like a pretty wide footprint in a lot of gear and maybe you, you couple this partnership with like taking on some specialty retailers in, you know, a couple of the sports like, you know, from whether it's, you know, cycling or swimming and things like that, because they have a pretty broad reach now on Strava in terms of things that they offer. But like Zappos has a pretty wide footprint. They're owned by Amazon. So, you know, so if often it's folded into the Zappos model, what you have is like, all right, for every run or workout, you, you basically tag the gear that you use as a way of saying not only like this is what I'm using now, but as a way of cataloging how much use you're getting out of it. And then shoot, man, if I go on like your page, say like, all right, Jay ran six miles this morning. I see what shoes you ran. am like, oh, what are those? You know, what the Asics Keanu 27, like, oh, what's that? And you just turn all of those links into affiliate links and the like, all of a sudden you're just driving traffic back to yourself.
1: I agree. And they did this for a little while. Do you, if you remember, they did it with Polar. They did it with Koros. Um, so, in, and that's actually how I started um, I switched over to Koros because Rich Roll was doing all his runs with this Koros watch and it kept popping up I'm like what is this watch and then the more you dug into it the more you got to know more about it so bring those back but they got rid of all those uh so I agree with you I think they missed the boat and I think they had a chance and maybe they still do I'm not saying they don't but I don't think trying to suck five dollars from their subscribers is going to get them to where they want to be
0: well and I don't even think it's that I think it's like what am I getting out of it Right. Like if you're telling me like all I'm getting out of it is that like a map of where I where I've run a map of where I can run and like how fast I ran that six mile route last time or like two years ago. It's like, all right, that's great. But like, but my running coach says I shouldn't be worried about that. So you're telling you're giving me information that like I'm not even supposed to be looking at in the first place. It's uh, it's not the best. It's you know obviously a, a useful service. There's not an obvious company that can just capitalize on it. It's kind of like there. there's a lot of companies at the next tier down to capitalize. And a lot of them are grouped by sport. So there's no obvious successor to the throne here for Strava. So it'll be interesting to see who, who utilizes this. Obviously, I don't know if this is good timing or bad timing. Because you all of a sudden, people are now using Strava segments as their races, which is like, okay. Right. So like you're you're potentially like, all right, well now we can capitalize on this because that's the part that we're making that's one of the things that we're making you have to pay for is to see what the top ten leaderboard is. But also you're also handicapping yourself with the knees because all of a sudden people are gonna be like, Yes, this will be my new race. I wanna become like you know, see if I can get like top one hundred on this segment, if you're just a dedicated amateur runner or whatever, and it's like, Oh, now I gotta pay for that, like ah, forget it. Like <laughs> It no, was a good idea. Now I guess not. And because like you basically have this model where there's only one way that they're getting cash out of the, out of this business, and you know there's just with so many eyeballs, you got to believe there's a way for them to do this better. Especially now they've like branched out into so many different sports, where it's like. You know, everyone's working out at home now. No one's even at gyms. Like there should be like Strava TV, right? There should be like you signing up for classes at Strava. Like you got coaches who work for Strava, right? Like like the Peloton coaches, right? Like I'm like, I'm a running coach. I, who do you work for? Oh, I work for Strava. Like, you know, that's how people you know, log into me. And I feel like that was the part that like they could have really capitalized on this moment in that way, in a way that other businesses are doing like Peloton. And it's just, it's just not happening.
1: Yeah, I, I agree. And, and I hate, I hate the argument that it's only $5. That's the worst argument I've been reading on, on the Twitter sphere is it's only five bucks. That's not the point. The point is exactly what you said. What are you getting for your money? Whether it's a dollar or $50, you want something in return. And it's not what we're currently getting now, my opinion.
0: Right, I mean that. I mean that. That's been the argument for like. I mean, like, I worked in nonprofit philanthropy for you know for a large part of my life, and that was always the, like the worst argument in the room. Was like, well, we're only asking them to give five dollars a month. Like, who wouldn't do that? We're like, well, yeah, well, every, you and every other business and nonprofit are saying that, right? So, like, <laughs> that's the problem. It's like they're not going to give five dollars a month to two thousand different organizations.
1: Yeah, and I even said I would pay them more if there was more value in return, which I think a lot of people would feel the same way. Um, but I think you you opened up a point of they could. There's so many different avenues they could go down, and they've just which was the argument from the beginning. They've had all these years to do it, and they just can't couldn't figure out what was going to work, what was going to stick.
0: Yeah, for sure. I there, there are so many ways they could have made this a popular business with that many people involved in this app going on there literally every single day and connecting it to multiple devices on their person but hey what are you gonna do maybe they'll maybe this will just be the one you know one you know domino that leads to more dominoes and all of a sudden they're back in the game um you know they have a huge lead over their next competitor so you know a couple false steps isn't going to mean anything as we've seen because they've made dozens of false steps along the way right. <laughs> you know like it's like i can't tell you how many women i know have been like i'm not on strava man because i don't want people knowing where i run this is a safety issue yeah. that's an issue that still beguiles strava in terms of how to figure it out but with that being said we promised people be 20 minute podcasts we're about to hit 30 so we're going to cut this one off jason thank you so much for hopping on everyone who's listening thank you for subscribing and listening to the show we're going to be coming out again three times a week tuesday wednesday and friday Thank you so much for listening to the BSD. Welcome to the Business and Sports Discourse. My name is Matt Chinna, and I'm here, as always, with my co-host, Jason Macaluso. Jay, today, we're going to talk about what just went down a few days ago, Boston Marathon canceling for 2020. Their race was supposed to be in the middle of September after it was postponed from Patriots Day in the spring. Now, this is. let's just set the stage here. First of all, this was not a surprise. Uh, I think, if anything, the surprise might have been the timing, because the timing is basically three and a half months out from when the race is supposed to be scheduled. Uh, And even in the PR release from the BAA, the organizing body of the Boston Marathon, they make it very clear in their opening statement that they're basically just acquiescing to what the local government, whether it was uh, city and or state, basically put the clamps on it and said, you're not having any mass events uh, by mass I mean little large events, um, you know, this coming uh, fall. So that was that, I guess, first things first, Jay, um, from a timing perspective, what were some of the things that you took from the, from their decision to tell everybody now?
1: Yeah, I give them credit for just making a decision. Uh, I know there's a lot of races still out there that are pending, Um, we were chatting offline, Ironman specifically, I'll pick on them being a triathlete that they have just a lot of races hanging in the wind, uh, even as close as July that they've still not made a decision for a lot of racers. So, you know, it's the summer people have plans. Um, you know, obviously Boston's an April race that got punted to the end of the summer, but you know, we're still three, three months out, but people want to, to figure out what the heck's going on this summer. So I, I give them credit for making the decision instead of just kicking the can down the road and hoping, praying that it wasn't going to, you know, that we could that that we that we can make it run. So I give them kudos for that. That's the first thing.
0: Yeah, and I was thinking they probably got to the point where they were in communication with the state and city to like, all right, like we need to tell everybody, you know, say two months out or even like six, you know, two two months out. And they might've been like, well, listen, there's, no, there's not gonna be any change on our end over the next month. So there's no reason to wait if they're just telling you flat out, like, listen, you know, we might, you know, this can't be a game time decision. So if that's the case, then we just have to roll. Uh, but it was interesting that they canceled all things. And we had talked about this uh, offline. Like what if, if and when they decided to cancel the race for everybody? If they were going to make that a universal cancellation or if they were going to try to find a way to get the elites there and make that happen. But that wasn't that ultimately was not part of the plan. And they just canceled it all the way through.
1: Yeah, there's two big sides to this story. There's the there's the amateurs um, who you you know, you, you talk to a couple times a week in your podcast, and that's what thirty thousand people that are training for it, that are putting their blood, sweat, and tears behind it. Their families are going with them, but then on the flip side, there's elites that you just mentioned that actually make it need to make a living off this. So, uh, you, I know you are more shocked than me about the elites not being able to race, and you came up with a couple cool ideas. Um, I won't steal your thunder, but have them run around Logan, which is a cool idea, <laughs> but. But yeah, I mean, these guys and women, these men and women, this is how they make their living. So whether it's John Hancock paying them to show up, it's the prize money that they get, it's their sponsors being there. And now they're just, they're left holding the bag. So do you have any insight on what's going on with them?
0: Well, not a lot, but I will say this. I think part of this decision about whether or not to have elites there, first of all, it was never going to be a straightforward decision. It wasn't going to be as simple as like, hey man, like Logan Airport said we could have the South Terminal. Uh, let's just make it happen, right? Let's just have everyone stay in a hotel next to the airport. We'll quarantine them then we'll go out to the landing strip and then just run around it like, you know, five <laughs> to seven times and then we're done. And we'll get the TV money and all that, um, you know, some version of that. Um, and we, we can speculate as to what might happen later. If this is just the first of many dominoes to fall, which it looks like it might be, but I think part of it too could just be the insurance part of this. So these races, are insured um, in a similar way as if, say, you played golf or you're watching golf on TV. There might be, um, you know, like these pro-am events. They'll have a hole-in-one competition. Like you get a hole-in-one, then you win a car type thing or you win like a cash prize. You see this stuff at basketball games, too, where if you hit a full-court shot, you win Lord knows what. So these kinds of contests are actually insured. And those kind of companies that insure that are the same kind of companies that would insure a race like Boston, where, if hey, the race is canceled then you get whatever your insurance pays for, you know, whatever deal that, that's created. So I think part of it might be if they had this race for elites, but not the masses, that might not have been written into a, a contract agreement with their insurer. So that might have avoided a, a deal in terms of collecting some of that insurance money, first of all, which would be completely understandable. Uh, secondly, this insurance, usually the, the race is insured in addition to that, appearance fees for the athletes are also part of that deal. So what you'll end up getting, and this isn't going to be necessarily public, how much people are getting or even how much because each athlete has their own uh, appearance fee for a race like that. Um, You know, those athletes who have appearance fees in their contract for the race will get a portion of that appearance fee, you know, whether it's 30 to 50% of what they they'd already be expecting, that could be Covered as part of that insurance plan, that doesn't cover any lost wages from prize money. Cause you just can't go down that road of like, all right, well, who would have won? Who would have finished 10th? This is just covering the appearance fee. And I just have to believe if they tried to have the elite race without the major race, then that might have, that part of it might have been compromised.
1: Well, you know, it's interesting and in all that. And you just said something that I was jotting down a note is so all over the BA website, they're talking about they're going to do a virtual week. Do you think they'll get some elites in there to have the, some appearances to kind of get that appearance fee?
0: Right. So, the, so this is what they're offering in lieu of the Boston Marathon. So, you can either get a refund for the 2020 Boston Marathon, which is, you know, which, yeah, you know, we should have mentioned, like, that's big of them because that wasn't necessarily going to be the case. So, yeah, they're secondly, given, you just get a refund. Yep. Yeah, just get a refund, or you can participate in their virtual race series. I think they've folded in. Some of their other races, like the BAA 5K, which they always have the weekend of the Boston Marathon and things like that are thrown in. So you could participate in their virtual races and they have their own stipulations about what that means. And in addition to that, there's just added content. So there's like, you know, professional like, you know, like basically having like a webcam series uh, with lectures and things like that. And, you know, similar things that you would get if you just flew in for the weekend. Like if you were just going to the expo, they'd have certain things around that. Like I've been a part of that in Houston uh, and at CIM, where I've had a chance to talk to pros on the stage. And they're telling people you know about their story or they're giving advice and, and so on and so forth. And people find that valuable. So they're offering that as part of the virtual race series, uh, very much like what the experience that they would hope to provide in person during race weekend. Um, so that comes as part of the virtual race series. If you want to stay in and opt into that, that is a, that is a, a move forward. That also begs the question, okay, you're running the virtual race. What does that mean for 2021? Cause now everyone's hot on what's going to happen in 2021. And they've been pretty straightforward about this right away. So first things first, you can take the time that you use to get into Martin into Boston, 2020, all of that can be rolled over to Boston 2021. So basically, what that means is the normal Boston Marathon window was just expanded by a year. So, you know, typically the Boston Marathon window is you know the previous nine months or so prior prior to the race. Now it will be a year and nine months roughly. So, whatever time, say your Boston Marathon qualifier, whatever time you used last time, and say you don't run a marathon in 2020, which most people won't be, no need to fret. You can still use that time now. The next thing is, all right, well, that's the case. And no one does run a Boston Marathon. I'm sorry, no, if no one runs a marathon in 2020. Does that mean I'm automatically into Boston 2021 since there's going to be no new times? The problem with that is not necessarily because it is an international field. So maybe there are some races elsewhere. In addition to that, we don't know how big the Boston Marathon is going to be in 2021. So this year they have roughly 30,000 people. They may be asked to downscale that or... You know, maybe they just have to downscale it. So we don't know for sure, but at least you still have that that option of using that time. Which for so many people, a race like this is like this isn't just a normal race for so many people. As anyone who's in endurance sports knows, oftentimes this is the hallmark type A, you know, the, the kind of the, the big looming goal of of someone's running career is to qualify for Boston. So it's one thing not to get in. It's another thing for the race to be canceled. So hopefully those people who uh, who got in this time around will will be able to get into the next time. Uh, But we'll see, because all this is kind of like who knows, because we have no idea what marathons are going to happen in 2020 and its effect on Boston, the Boston 2021, even if the race is the traditional size.
1: You know, which makes me wonder, I wonder if Boston, to your point about this being the, you know, the pinnacle race for a lot of athletes, um, elite and amateur, if, if Boston got a little bit of pressure to kind of make the decision quick, right? Because if they didn't do anything here and they just let this thing kind of linger, what about some, you know, some early fall races that are potentially qualifiers for Boston, um, you know, would you be able to run that and then then get it? Well, I get no because 2020 would have been sold out. So that just answered my own question.
0: Yeah, I, but I think you bring up a good point. What's going to be the domino effect here is that Boston was the first major marathon on the calendar for, this, for the fall. Uh, so we'll see what happens next with some of the other races. Now that this one's already been canceled, I think for other races, it kind of gives them cover to do it. Not that, you know, races aren't in the business of canceling. So no one wants to do that, but at least once they do it, it might limit some of the potential outrage from people. Um, if you know they're, they're just you know they just are just so unhappy that that that's how it turned out. Because part of this, especially when you're talking about the city and state making the the ultimate call here, is it's not even necessarily about the racers per se. It's also about the crowds. Boston's known for it. You know, millions of people come out that day and for the city and state they might just be viewing it like this could just be a catastrophe um but we'll see i mean shoot we're coming we're recording this on monday june 1st so you know we've seen over the weekend you know demonstrations and protests around the country and this is going to be an interesting case what happens with covid-19 because this was exactly the sort of thing that they've ruled that they've warned people against doing and obviously the people who protested this weekend you know, felt very strongly about doing it. And they had a very strong reason why they wanted to do it. But in two weeks, we'll see what happens with the COVID-19, because that will be the window. And I think what might end up happening is if in two weeks, the numbers don't spike in the areas that had significant protests, you might see state government's opinions of whether or not this is viable start to change.
1: Yeah. And I think you're going to have, you know, that's why it's so hard to make these decisions so far out, um, where a lot of races are still kind of holding on, hoping, hoping that things are going to get better. Um, but then also you, the the point about spectators, right? It's one thing to have 30,000 athletes, but if every athlete brings at least one significant other plus someone else, you know, you have potential, there's easily gonna be a hundred thousand people down there with pros and everything else. So do you really want to, um, jeopardize a hundred thousand people plus all the you know the, the towns that people run that they run through as well. So it's just from a liability standpoint, um, I think I'm sure a lot of people were talking, especially John Hancock being the lead sponsor of this for so many years, just did not want to be associated with something that could potentially be so negative. I mean what was your what was your upside? you know they run the event in September, nobody gets sick like that's your best case scenario. But your worst case scenario is so many countless things could happen. Um, so I think they did the right the right call.
0: Yeah, and I think this cancellation, you know, is is so tough. Not only on the athletes who were hoping to, you know, help make their living. You know, say an American athlete does this race and they get top ten, and shoot, we've had we've had American winners for sure, but it, that's few and far between. But say you're an American who get, finishes top ten here, means you probably had an appearance fee as well. And then you get a check for finishing top 10, you know, that can make your year. If you're an international runner and say you're, you know, from Eastern Africa, you know, in the Kenyan River Valley, you know, this makes a lifetime. So the, the, the losses here from a elite perspective, not only is it, you know, something that, that matters to them personally, there's, there's a potential huge effect on their own personal income, um, you know, this is the business and sports discourse, so we got to bring that up. In addition to that, it affects other businesses that are associated with this sport, right? I mean, you're talking about how many people make money in the running media. We didn't have any. We don't have any running right now, right? We have you know the, these you know kind of like pickup events that are happening. You know, Johnny Gregoric just you know ran four oh six in jeans, and that was fun to watch <laughs> and got some excitement. But that's not the same as these high profile races. And it certainly doesn't move the needle for sports media in a section where you, you have Boston marathon. That's a whole month's worth of, of, uh, of, stories leading in and almost a whole month's worth of stories coming out of a, of a race like that. And it draws, drives so much traffic. You know, it is to the running media. What like black Friday is to a retailer, right. you know, it make it really makes the season, if not the year. And, this is a huge bummer for people in that industry because now they're looking around like hey, we we can't you know function. Like you know the media is hard enough to make a profit as it is. It's harder much harder when there are no signature events to cover that are going to allow you to really draw in high level of interest in and around those events and the people who are performing who might be you know of note to your core audience.
1: Well, I think we're just scratching the surface from the sponsorship side of this. And we'll be talking about that later this week in another episode about sponsorships. But I think right now, a lot of you know sponsors are hanging on, figuring out this will be okay. But to your point, it's a business. So they all have to make money. So if the sponsor company is not making any money or has a lull in their revenue, then they're certainly not going to be able to pass on. They're not to, to pass on their losses to their to their athletes. So this is just the very beginning, and I'm sure over the next couple of weeks and months, you and I are going to be talking about this a lot more, especially with the pro athletes, and they're going to realize really quick which sponsors they want to be with once this whole thing is over with, and which ones kind of left them, um, you know, hung out to dry.
0: Right. It, will, it also will benefit those pros who are able to make money in sponsorship deals independent of their race results. Yeah. Right. The people who have a huge following because of uh, of social media and their ability to engage with fans in a way, that again, that isn't necessarily correlated with their results. I think part of that was, you know, you saw Des Linden's triumph, you know, a couple of years ago in Boston in the rain. You know, she was already beloved. And that was what helped cat. That's what helped catapult her the minute that happened right? If she was just somebody who had had a lot of success, but hadn't cultivated a huge following in the running world and beyond, then while historic, maybe it's not, as I mean, while amazing, it might not have been historic in terms of how it was remembered. You know what I mean? Like, we've, we've had a lot, you know, so it's like, you have those, those precursors, you have those events that uh, are set up by previous engagement and cultivation. And I think that these These professional athletes are now seeing like, hey, man, like I need to have stuff besides my racing if I'm going to live as a professional, which is daunting because being a professional athlete is daunting enough as opposed to all of a sudden turning yourself into a media company.
1: Yeah, and I think when something we will definitely be talking about is um, I've noticed in the triathlon side and I've talked to a pro just when you and I decided to start this podcast um, that I've known for a little while, lucky enough to know for a while, and he has a bunch of sponsors that are not sports related. And he told me flat out that these sponsors have been, you know, pretty helpful and supportive of him during this time of him not racing. So the days of you know just incentivizing them with sneaker sneaker contracts because they could win a race might be kind of thinning out. And this is going to, you know, to your point, have a lot of these athletes having to do other things besides just trying to get top three podium all the time at races.
0: Yeah, so let's talk about what could end up happening here. Say there's a a flurry of of cancellations moving forward, right? Say London cancels and Chicago cancels. All of a sudden, there's three of the World Marathon Majors gone off the board. I wonder if there's a way at that point where Abbott, as kind of a unifier amongst these races, because these are all independently run races, but Abbott is connected to all of them. uh, You know, that's why they formed the Abbott World Marathon Majors. If all of a sudden they just they come together and say, "Listen." We need something, right? right? Like, yes. we can't just have a goose egg for a calendar year in this marathon space, like that. It just can't happen. So you wonder if they're just going to say, like, you know, anyone who can make it down to you know Disney World in Florida, you know, the the first weekend in November, come on down. We'll test you. We'll house you in one of the you know, shoot, Disney World's enormous, right? Like, it's so easy to quarantine people off. It's why the NBA is going to start up in, in Disney World. And, you know, so it's so easy just to have someone have these people in a hotel, run a course down in Disney World. The weather at the beginning of November will be totally fine. It will be completely sectioned off from fans. They won't have access, which normally stinks. But in this time, if you're if safety is the first priority, that's great. And then all of a sudden you have a situation where, hey, we're in an area where, you know, it's, you know, like ESPN is owned by Disney. Like you'll have the chance to not only have a ton of cameras out there, you'll have a course that is free of distraction. You'll have all the athletes in one space and you'll be able to test everybody down there because the NBA is going to be down there heading into late summer, early fall. They'll already have like the testing stuff done before. Like this won't even be new to the facility in terms of housing it. I think that having some sort of race down there organized by the people who are organizing the Abbott world marathon majors. If you know a couple of these races cancel it makes all the sense in the world. You wonder if they'll be able to get the international field in like they normally would. Uh, but ultimately I think that could end up being a win-win situation for so many people because it would allow you to have the race in a setting that, uh, that, you know, isn't too scary for people to, to make work. And then ultimately You'll be able to broadcast it and get some of the TV rights. And you have to figure out how the TV rights would work because, you know, it would be a new deal. But I think it it could really work. And even from a domestic travel standpoint, like, if someone's afraid to fly, like, you could drive it. I mean, like, driving cross-country, you know, say you live in Flagstaff or you live out in California, you know, it's not ideal. But, like, I drove drove cross-country solo in three days. When I came, the year I graduated college, like it's doable, especially if you go with a group, and you know you think if that that's worst case scenario, if you can't fly, but ultimately, I feel like something like that is not only doable, but would be very well received by a lot of people.
1: Well, you yeah, so the 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 these organizers are you know they they know that the amateurs will show up again, right? I mean, there's all these amateurs are just. Hankering to get into the net to the 2020 run, 2021 race. So they have no problem. If they extend the field by 5,000 people, um, they'll get as many people as that have qualified. But to your point about the pros, those pros are, you know, they're right on the razor's edge with a lot of them being able to sustain a living. So just like the Tour de France, which um, hopefully we'll talk about soon, is they're trying to run that thing no matter what, without fans, with fans, somewhere that will house them. Because if they don't do this, It's going to put a lot of elite athletes in a position that they won't be able to run again and um, will just hurt the pro field going into the future. So I like your point. And, you know, why not have the NBA down there, run around the park? I mean, I did the Disney Marathon. It's a lot of fun. Have Mickey Mouse over there. So be a good time.
0: There you go. And shoot, you can even just piggyback that and just, you know, you wonder if the Disney marathon series is going to happen. Usually it's the first weekend in January. Uh, one of my athletes has already signed up for it, doing the Goofy Challenge, all four races, back to back to back to back you know, Yeah. You wonder if it's going to happen. And if it is, maybe you could piggyback off that. Yeah. That, you, know? it would um, you, just, you just you just create a fifth day you know, the fifth day is for the elites. Um, But it definitely it definitely would allow for it. There's probably a lot of other methods where this could happen. And you wonder if that sort of thing could would be preempted by not preempted, but the idea would be sparked by, you know, some of these companies who needs these races, need these races to happen, could be the, the, the ones who are applying force to this. So maybe it's, you know, the shoe companies that are you know, solely running shoe related, right? Like the Hoka One One, you know, you know, the Saucony is the world, right? The Brooks of the world, like Nike is huge in running, obviously, but they're huge in every other sport too. So you right. know what I mean, if they would take a hit, but not a huge hit, not compared to Saucony Brooks and Hoka, yeah. right? In terms of their, their, their potential marketing appeal in these huge race settings. And, you know, it's just so interesting because so many of, especially with these, elite racing shoes that have come out in the past, like the Vaporflies, the Flies, the Endorphin Pro from Saucony, uh, the Hyperion Elite from Brooks, you know, they timed the release of these often often with the running of these elite races. And if those races don't happen, their entire marketing plan is, is, is shot.
1: Well, I think this is the onus of why you and I started this podcast, right? Unfortunately, what's going on in the world right now, in the world of sports, it's affecting a lot of you know, amateur athletes and we're bummed we can't race and we're bummed we can't watch, you know, basketball and blah, blah, blah. But at the end of the day, it's a business and it's a multi-billion dollar, you know, if not trillion dollar business. So these companies are going to be in a world of hurt if they can't get some of these races to run, some of these athletes to do their thing, um, eyeballs on the TV, eyeballs on their, uh, whatever it is they're hawking. So uh, yeah, you make a good point. They're all eventually like, we got to get something going here. Otherwise, you know, a year from now, 18 months from now, it's going to be a totally different landscape and it's just going to be Nike <laughs> and the hokas of the world are going to be gone.
0: Well, and that's the thing. Maybe you should just have like a battle of the brands instead of a battle of the bands. <laughs> right. You can say like, OK, listen, like top three runners from each shoe company. I like it. Let's have at it. And maybe you, you can even set up different distances. Right. So, like, you know, you look at the women's Olympic trials in the marathon, like it was a pretty even split. The men were much more Nike heavy than the women. It was pretty even with the women with a couple different brands. So you just think like, all right, like, would that work? Right. I mean, th- there's got to be there's got to be something there where we can make something happen. I don't know if it's how Mickey and Minnie holding the tape, you know, <laughs> as, as one of these right. elites comes flying through or, you know, all of a sudden we just have, you know, the battle of the brands out in Flagstaff, Arizona, where they can all just congregate and of them live there already uh, and just go from there. But either way, I'm excited to see what happens. Thank you so much for listening to the BSD episode two. Make sure you subscribe and share this with your friends. Jay and I are going to continue to bring the goods week in and week out. If you have any ideas for episodes or topics that you want us to hear, just go over to shoot. You can find all of our socials in the show notes. We'd love to interact with you. And thank you so much and have a great day. Thank you so much for listening to these two episodes. I cannot wait to put out more. We're going to get three episodes a week, Tuesday, Wednesday, and Friday mornings for the foreseeable future. And I can't wait to do it with Jason. This is so much fun to record. If you have any suggestions for topics that you'd like us to cover Please send them in. You can follow Jason or I on Twitter and Instagram. Also, you can just email me directly, ramblingrunnerpodcast at gmail.com. If you want links to our social uh, social handles, you'll see them in the show notes. So, thank you so much for listening. I really, really appreciate it, and happy running. This has been a production of Rambling Runner Podcast. This podcast is produced by David Margetti of In Post Media. Thank you to MetaP for the music. His song, Righteous Path, featuring Rex Mayhem and Chip Fu, is produced by Symphonic Bang. Surprising in my surroundings, I'm finding the quietest states these days. This representation of storm brewing I'm amazed that the focus remains the vocal focal point of my change. I'm trying to show this industry.